Let's take Bibles and turn to Micah chapter 6. That's on page 779, I believe. If you would like to use a Bible from the pew right in front of you, grab that, 779, or Micah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. We continue our worship as we sing about Jesus, who is our life, we now look at his words, which are the words of life. And this is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and your enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and with a calf a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, old man. What is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The voice of the Lord cries to the city and it sounds wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit uh, uh, the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? You rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies, and and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I will strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall not eat, but not be. You shall eat, but not be satisfied. And there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For I have kept the statute. 
for you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. You may be seated. Father, there's no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. We're so grateful to have your word. Father, in our prayer is that as we look at these words that we've just read, that you would help us, that, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and minds. We've come here not just to know something, but we've come here to be changed by you so that truly this would be a moment of encounter and worship. So help us, we pray. Be glorified as to how your children receive your word. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, chapter 6 is the start of the last segment of the book of Micah. Remember, there were three waves or rounds in this book, uh, and the, each round started with the word here. Listen, here. It, it was in verse 2 of chapter 1. It was in verse 1 of chapter 3, and now, it was in, now it's here in chapter 6, verse 1. And uh, each round does not really introduce something uh, substantially more different than the previous rounds, but, but each Round the waves of truth go deeper and 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 de- and develop um, the the greater complexities of the issues that are being dealt with. Here, the the mood of chapter six, in particular, this third and final wave, is that of a court case. There's a lawsuit going on here. Look at, look at how, how it's stated here in verse 2. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord. For the Lord has an indictment against his people. It's one thing to be hauled into court. It's a whole other thing for the Lord to haul us into court. And yet that's the mood here in this chapter. Now, I would remind us that Micah has hard things to say to us. Micah had hard things to say to the people he originally delivered that, this message to. And yet I would remind us that, that these hard things are followed up with hopeful things. And yet we'll never get past, for the most part, the hard things this morning. You'll have to come back next week for the hopeful things, although we'll finish on a hopeful note. And yet the mood of this chapter is that of, uh, of a continued, uh, another, a new round of hard words of indictment. And there's two things I want us to say, although I'm primarily going to just mention these two things and then we will zone in on, on verse eight. Um, the two things, verses one through eight of chapter six, um, uh, identified the charges that are being expressed. What charges does the Lord have against his people? What, are, what is the nature of this indictment? If we were to Google CaseNet and we were to pull up the charges that the Lord would have, then this is what we would find is leveled against his people. But then in verse 9 through 16, 
um, we see the case settled, if you would, and we see the conviction executed. Now, as a way to meander up to exactly what is the charges expressed, um, there's, a, there's a bit of, a, of, of, a, of an interrogation of some sort in verse 3. The Lord is, before he levels the actual charges against Israel, he's, he's uh, wanting to clear a couple of matters. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have, how have I have wronged you or wearied you? Put that on the docket, if you would. Yet there's no charges that could be leveled that would stick. And in fact, what he explains in verses 4 and 5 is a, is a quick summary statement of how the Lord has not wearied his people, how he has rescued his people, how the Lord has not wronged his people, how the Lord has been nothing but faithful and wonderful to his people. He's the God who heard their cries for mercy and rescued them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's the God who put Moses and Aaron and Miriam in front of them and led them and provided them with guidance. He's the God who, when, when, when Balak wanted to hire Balaam to curse his people, he turned that curse into blessing. Now, he's the God who has, who has gone before his people. He's the God who has rescued his people. He's the God who has protected his people. He's the God who has preserved his people. He's the God who has provided for his people. What has God asked in return for that? Well, in, in verses 6 and 7, what he's not asked for that is some sort of highfalutin, fancy, complicated acts of worship. Should we bring thousands of rams? Should we offer our firstborn as an atonement for our sin? Uh, How many burnt offerings do we need to make? That's missing the point. What has the Lord required of his people? What should be the outcome of the wonderful and faithful ways that God has treated his people? He says in verse 8, he has told you, old man, oh man, I keep on wanting to say old man. I guess it's because I, I is one, but uh, he, he, has, he has told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Listen to what the Lord said through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 10. In other words, uh, uh, part of what I'm wanting to suggest to you is that what, what Micah is springing upon Israel and Judah at this moment is not anything new. Remember, the prophets are covenant enforcers. They look back and remind Israel of the covenant stipulations that they were required to live under because of the Lord's good, faithful, rescuing hand in our lives. And so as, as long as they've been rescued from Egyptian slavery, they have been told what is good. As long as they have been rescued from Egyptian slavery, they have known what the Lord has required of them. And so in, 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 in Deuteronomy chapter 10, 
verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? For hundreds of years, there's been the opportunity for there to be clarity. What does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love and serve the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. I hope you capture just a brief glimpse of the, of the corresponding parallel. Some of the exact wording is different, but I think there's a correspondence each. Each, each specify what the Lord has required. Each identify what is good. Each speak of the, of the need to internally fear and love the Lord, even as this passage talks about walking humbly with the Lord. And each passage in its own way talks about um, obeying the commands of the Lord, which is not substantively different than than the Lord through Micah now saying here, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy? Doing justice and loving mercy is not an altogether different species than you and I simply obeying God's commands. That's huge that we maybe press into that and think about that because um, the experts love to use the word justice today. I mean, you have to be totally asleep to have never have heard the word justice in social media or in the nightly news or in the whatever news feed that you received. And in fact, there's lots of interesting qualifiers that I would suggest you actually hijack the biblical notion of justice. There's economic justice, there's climate justice, there's gender justice, and there's the umbrella of them all, there's social justice. I mean, you would think that we have, we have an incredibly just society because all of the experts love to grab that word justice and hijack it with, with a modifier. Might I suggest to you that um, you're just wasting words? We don't need economic justice. We don't need climate justice. We don't need gender justice. We don't need social justice. We just need justice. So let me suggest, let me point us to what the scripture teaches us it looks like to do justice, because that's what we're told to do here. What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord want from you today? The Lord wants you to be a people who does justice. The Lord wants me to do justice. The Lord wants you to do justice. The Lord wants all God's children to do justice. But what does that mean? Let me mention one primary factor of doing justice, and three related or subsidiary or modifying factors that, that, that uh, unpack what it means to, 
to do justice. To do justice means that we act and treat other people lawfully. That we act lawfully and that we treat other people lawfully. That's the the main factor. In fact, to, to, to do justice means to do what is in accords to the standards of God's law. It's God's law that gives objective definitions and descriptions to things like what is fair, what is just, and what is upright. So in Deuteronomy chapter 10 said, what does the Lord require of you but to, but to obey his commands? That's just another way of saying what he wants his people to do is to live lawfully and treat other people lawfully. We do justice when we do what his commands tell us to do. So, for instance, if you'll just take the second half of the second table or second half of the Ten Commandments, that's just a starting point. We're not limited to that conversation, but it's a good summary statement. What does the Lord require of us but to do justice? What is justice? Justice is to honor your father and mother. Now, I would suggest to you that even the summary statement of the Ten Commandments, when it says these short, pithy statements like honor your mother and, f- mother and father, I would suggest to you that, that it wouldn't be out of place to build upon that. I would suggest to you that honoring your father and mother is an is a initial baby step in terms of learning how to honor other people around you as well. You learn honor in the home, at least that's where it should be taught. And so if you learn to honor your father and mother, you will grow up to be a kind of person who knows how to honor and give respect to other people in positions of office and authority and those sort of things. So see, if you're, if you're going to do justice, then first of all, you will know how to honor people. You will know how to honor your parents and those who also are in lawful places of authority. But we could go on. If, if we're to do justice, it means that thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. How do you do justice? You just obey those commands. And you even obey the implications of those commands. In other words, so, so what does it mean to do not murder? It doesn't mean that we simply refrain from murder, but we live in a way that, that, that enhances and celebrates and protects life. When you protect life, you're doing justice. When you murder babies, you're not doing justice. it mean to not commit adultery? It means that you understand that the beauty of human sexuality is expressed between one man and one woman in the context of covenant marriage. Any other, any other, any other expression of human sexuality is a failure to do justice. 
And just one example of that is anytime you decide to go and sleep with someone who's not your, your, your spouse and you produce a child, you are automatically bringing great injustice on that child. You, you, are, you are placing that child in, in you, 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 not society, you are placing a great injustice on that child. You are stripping them of privilege that they could experience if they had the opportunity, the joy of growing up in a context where there is a male and a female committed to marital love, raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We could go on. I I just would point out some of the silliness of those in our society that see themselves as social justice warriors whose whole life and whose whole purpose and whose whole social media blitz is built and predicated upon notions of revenge. Revenge is unlawful. You will never do justice with vengeance in your heart. So see, we we could talk about all these other kinds of hijacked notions of justice, or we could just say, Lord, uh, justice is in your wheelhouse, and what do you have to say about this? And the first thing it says to us is that Justice pertains to living lawfully and treating people lawfully. Now, three subsidiaries, and I'll try to be quicker on these things, but built upon living and treating people lawfully, we will live and treat people impartially. No prejudice for things like ethnicity and economics and background and heritage and social class. In other words, that, that this, these lawful standards, these lawful rules of God should be applied equally to all people, whether they are great or small, whether they are rich or poor. When your son goes to bed with the Chinese and you get kickbacks on that. You, there should be consequences so no matter how high you are in the land. Next, we should treat people proportion, with proportionality. In other words, you should treat people how they deserve to be treated. Or, in essence, what I'm saying is the punishment should fit the crime. The reward should fit the labor. Isn't it interesting now? That's just flipped from what we're learning about economic and social and all of these variations of, of justice in our culture today 
But the wisdom of Scripture gives us so much insight that it even specifies things out for us. It distinguishes that. The law distinguishes that, that if someone murders somebody, that the crime, the punishment for that should be more severe than if someone steals something from somebody. Not that one of them is okay and the other one is bad, but, 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 but they, they, are, they are distinct aberrations of God's standard, and therefore they should have their own uh, embedded in them consequence to them. And even within that, the wisdom of God's law is, the, is that the law even, even goes further in this, under this notion of proportionality, and, and it, it specifies that you can make a distinction between um, murder that was uh, premeditated and intentional and murder that was uh, accidental or negligent, neg- negligible. Is that the word? Well, all of that falls under treating people lawfully, but it treat, treating people lawfully with a sense of proportionality. Then a, a third component of treating people lawfully, not only do we treat people impartially and proportionately, but we treat people with equitability. They should receive what they are due. People should receive what they are due. You should operate in that universe and you should regard other people that, live, that, that they live in that universe as well. That's very different from what we hear today in our culture. But I gotta move on for the sake of time. We're not only to be people who do justice, but we're to be people who love kindness. Now, I would suggest to you that most of our struggles, even in our society today, uh, comes from the fact that um, we're not able to distinguish between qualities of justice and qualities of mercy or kindness. And I would suggest to you that it's, first of all, it's very important that we understand that justice and mercy or kindness are distinct qualities. Ultimately, and only God could pull this off, ultimately they are not at odds with each other, but they shouldn't be conflated to mean the same thing. In other words, we should be leery of even uh, of 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 uh, ways that we try to put those together. So, for instance, we might talk about a just mercy or a merciful justice. I don't know that those are the best things to do to make one modify the other. I think it's better to understand that it's two distinct. Qualities. Now, now the good news is that, that God is rich and abundant in both qualities. God is perfectly holy in his justice, and God is perfectly holy in his mercy. <laughs> now, the rub comes when the Lord now wants us to replicate that same sort of uh, tension in our lives. 
Am I to be a person of justice, or am I to be a person who loves mercy? To which we say, yes. To which then we say, but how do we do that? To which we say, I don't know. But to, when, for us to say, I don't know, is, 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 is not to concede defeat. Because that's why we're supposed to walk humbly with the Lord our God. Because these things are not confusing to the Lord. And if we are to be the kind of people that do as the Lord does, to imitate the Lord, then we are the kind of people who walk with him and who learn from him and to get his heart and to obtain his wisdom so that we too would know how to flesh out how to be that kind of person who is committed to justice and yet who is in love with mercy I think that's really what he's trying to suggest here. That on the one hand, justice is, is, justice is to describe our behavior and our actions. It's what we do. But mercy is to describe our attitudes and our dispositions. It ought to increasingly become who we are. We are a people who do justice, but we are not just a people who do kindness. No, we ought to become a people who love kindness. That we have a willing delight. In fact, we're going to see, though this is the holdout of chapter 7 next week, that in fact our God has a willing delight to show mercy to his people. This perfectly just God, what really gets a smile on his face is the opportunity to show mercy. When God shows mercy, and when God asks his children to show mercy, in neither case is it to be done with an irksome demand. Now, as a corollary to that, I would suggest to you, and this is probably some of the ways that we've conflated justice and mercy, is, um, you, know, you know what? Um, you can't demand that someone show you mercy. And yet, that's where our society is, I feel. It's like our society says, you better show me mercy or I'm going to burn your house down. I think that's revenge, if I'm not mistaken. You see, you, you, you can't, you, you get, if you understand the distinction between justice and mercy, you can't demand mercy. Now, it, it would be a wonderful thing if we live in a society where you'd say, I, what I, I, I demand justice. Of course, unless you're guilty, then it's not too good of a thing. But um, you see, justice is built upon uh, owing something to someone or being owed something by someone. And what are you owed? Well, I asked that rhetorically. I don't, I don't want to hear our culture answer that question. But biblically, what you are owed is what you deserve. 
You see, mercy is an altogether different kind of critter. And yet, this is the beauty of kindness, though. While people can't demand that you show them mercy, while you can't demand uh, people to show you mercy, what we are told here is we are not to be people who uh, duly do mercy the same way we do uh, justice, but we are to be a people who who love to do mercy. In other words, the mercy that we show people, the mercy that's shown to us, uh, the mercy that we show people should come from voluntary acts of compassion. Now, when that means, then, again, knowing how to differentiate the categories is people cannot be coerced or forced to show mercy. So, when Congress gets together, and there's, let's see, there's Congressman A, B, and C, and when Congressman A, B, and C say, you know what, somebody ought to help citizen X, Y, and Z. And we're not going to do that, because <laughs> we got power. But, but, it's, but Congressman A, B, and C thinks that somebody ought to help citizen X, Y, and Z. And so what they do is rather than reach into their own pocket and say to citizen X, Y, and Z, I love you and I delight in showing mercy to you. I, I want to help you. What they do is they go and snag citizen D through T and they force citizen D through T to show mercy to citizen X, Y, and Z, and in so doing, it turns out they get to build their power base, politician A, B, and C. That's not how you should do mercy. I think we should be a merciful people. I think our nation should be a merciful nation. I think the church should be a merciful place. But you see, you understand the distinction of categories. Mercy is something that ought to come from a willing delight, not an enforcement, not a coercion, but an appeal, and a reasoned appeal. Let's help our underprivileged brother. I appeal to you. This is a human being who needs support and help. I appeal to you. Help them. And out of that comes a willingness to help. Out of that comes a desire, a gladness. I would love to show mercy to you. You see, by, by conflating issues, issues of justice and mercy, our government should be a government of justice. Monitoring how people act and, and supervising how people act insofar as it relates to things like fairness and righteousness. And I think it needs to be careful how it tries to legislate acts of mercy. Mercy should be done from loving hearts. 
Well, I've got to go on for the sake of time because um, the rest of this chapter, which I'm just going to summarily collapse, I, we read it and, and there wasn't many happy places in this as we, as we read it, but the, the summation of verses 9 through 16 is how, what was God going to do with Israel? He was going to do justice with Israel. He says there, you guys, you guys have walked uh, in, the, in, the, in the ways of the house of Ahab, which was a king in Israel. You guys have, have kept the statutes of Omri, which is Omri was a king who started the dynasty that Ahab was a part of. So in other words, you guys have lived like those guys. Rather than walk humbly in my ways, you've walked in their ways. And as a result of that, uh, you, you are, I'm going to make you a desolation. In other words, I'm going to level you. Now, when God would do that to Israel and Judah, what do you call that? You call that justice. Israel would get what they deserved, justice. God would be impartial in doing that. God would be proportionate in how he did that. And God would be equitable in how he did that. But God would do that because God is lawful. Now, to fast forward that to not only uh, Israel's experience, but, well, what about us? Um, well, it is in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that we discover something of the perfect harmony between justice and mercy. Through what Jesus did, God did both. He did justice and he loved mercy. And here's how he did that. He did that by sending Jesus whose perfect, lawful life deserved life. But he, being like his father, loved mercy without coercion, without legislative requirement. He voluntarily gave his life as a substitute. And giving his life as a substitute meant that he would absorb the justice of God for the sins of his people. That he would take on that sin and bear up under the just stroke of judgment for that sin. So that people like you and I, any and all who would turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we who deserved the justice of death and condemnation would be given gifted life. Through what Jesus did on the cross, people like you and I, who like the people of Israel and specified in verses 9 through 16, who deserved justice, nevertheless, they were in need of mercy. You and I are a people who if we got what we deserved, we wouldn't want that degree of justice falling on us. 
but the abundant riches of God's grace and mercy has flooded into the hearts and lives of those who trust in Jesus. And we have been given what our souls need. We have been given mercy because we have a God who not only does justice, but loves kindness. And there's a name and a face with blending together the justice of God and the kindness of God. And that name and that face is Jesus. Trust only in Jesus. Father, we're thankful that Jesus has absorbed our justice in our place, that he has taken what we deserved, and he has given us instead what we've not earned. Father, you didn't sweep our sins under the rug and ignore them, but you punished your son in our place. Thank you, Father. Thank you. May our hearts and lives now glorify you as we grasp how you have treated us. And may we as well then be a people who do justice and love mercy. For we pray this in Christ's name.